I believe that in the final analysis, one of the best ways to evaluate our love for and our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ is to measure it by our worship of him. Unfortunately, in the contemporary church, the word worship has come to be associated almost exclusively with singing. We're going to worship now is church speak for we're going to sing now. And whether intentionally or inadvertently, most likely inadvertently, everything else is relegated to some sort of lower standard. I grew up in a church where we would often say we're going to have the preliminaries before the sermon. And that sort of meant that the sermon was what people were coming for and everything else was just filler so that we didn't just have the sermon. Worship is so much more than just singing. The expression of our voices in praise is certainly one finger on the hand of worship. But it's not the whole thing. And so as we look today to discover what really is true worship, I want to take you back to a story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. We heard the passage read earlier. To discover whether or not our worship is really the worship that God wants. Is it what he desires from us? Is it what is pleasing to him? Because if not then we may be guilty of taking hamburgers to a vegetarian cookout. It's what I like, but is it really what the person hosting the event is looking for? Would you look at Mark chapter 14 with me, please, beginning in verse 3. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. We know from the passage that tells the same story in the Gospel of John that the woman's name is Mary. We know her story a little bit. We know that she had a sister named Martha. We know where she lived. But we really don't know a lot about her as we look through the magnifying glass at this moment of worship that is recorded for us. But we do know three things, and I want to look at those with you today. The first thing we see is the gift that she brought. In verse 3, we are told very clearly that while Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, Simon the leper was the host of this event. This is all happening in his home. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, 
She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. The importance of the gift is displayed by the fact that it's mentioned three times in the passage that we just read. There's a passage in Exodus that says, No one should come before God empty-handed. And yet, isn't it interesting that in many circles, it seems as if today we come to worship more to receive than to give. Worship is an act of giving. It is designed to be something that God receives from us. But often in church circles, we speak in terms of worship as what we got out of it. And then we get hung up along the lines of what it was like for us. What was our enjoyment? What was our appreciation? What was our blessing? Instead of seeing it as something that is really designed for us to be bringing to Christ. We get hung up sometimes on, did we like the music? Did we like the song selection? Did we like the instruments? Did we like the preaching? Did we like this? Did we like that? And when we do that, we sometimes forget that we come not to receive, but we come to give in worship. That's the nature of it. Mary came bringing her gift. That's not biblical worship when we come to receive. Christian author Rob Reamer says one of the biggest problems he sees in the church today is that we have, quote, made it too much about us, unquote. What do I like? What do I prefer? What do I think? Mary's gift was pure. We're told that it was genuine, it was unadulterated. No one else had ever used it before. Scripture says that our love for one another should be without hypocrisy. It should be genuine and honest. May I ask you this morning, is your worship an honest worship? Do you come telling Jesus, this is who I really am, this is what I look like, or is there a temptation at times to present a false image. My life is more together than I really portray. Now, the truth is that often our lives are falling apart. We have stress fractures. We have areas that we wish we could clean up. And the truth be told, often when our lives are spinning out of control, the last thing that we want to do is go into a worship environment where we only present ourselves as having it together. Mary didn't feel that pressure. She was allowed to be vulnerable. She was allowed to be who she was. Our worship for God is to be honest and pure. But it's also interesting that it's noted that her gift was precious. It was precious for two reasons. First of all, we're told that it cost a lot. Her worship was a costly worship. Now, those who were gathered around were evaluating it in terms strictly of the money that was involved. This perfume was apparently so valuable that you could have lived off of the sale of it for a year, according to the calculations that the disciples were making. But I wonder sometimes whether our worship costs us in areas other than just money. What does it cost us? to come and portray ourselves as who we really are. 
Well, pride is one of the things that we have to get rid of. If I'm going to be truthful, if I'm going to be real in my worship, then I'm going to have to be honest. And honest means there can be no pretense. And that costs me something. That's, by the way, why we don't often worship that way, because we're not willing to be honest and give up the facade. But it also meant a lot. It wasn't just the cost factor. It also meant a lot. Perhaps you have to be a woman to understand it. It was perfume. Have you discovered that there are times in your life when you are willing to bring to Jesus those things that don't cost you much or don't mean much to you? There have been times in my life where I have discovered that I have been consistently bringing things to Jesus that didn't really mean that much to me. I lay this at your feet, Lord. And I think if he could have, he would have said, I lay this right back at your feet, Keller. Because this doesn't mean anything to you. Why are you bringing it to me? I was a pastor for a long time. And where I pastored in both churches that I pastored, this would happen from time to time. I would get a phone call, and I'm really not exaggerating all that much, but I would get a phone call from someone, and they would say, Pastor Tim, I've got this piece of furniture, and it's old, and it's a little bit scratched up, and the cat did some work on it, and and it's really worn out, and it kind of smells bad, and we're getting a new piece of furniture. But we were thinking, before we hauled it off to the dump, Would the church be interested in this? It happened on more than one occasion. I had an elder who called it junk for Jesus. Nobody wants it anymore, and I don't want to have to pay to get rid of it, so I'll donate it to the church. Back in the day when we would have a Sunday evening service, and I know for many of you that creates fond memories, and for others it's like, we used to do this twice in a day? I would have people, men particularly, that would come to me and say, Pastor, I just want you to know I am committed to our Sunday evening service. 51 Sundays out of the year, I will be there for the evening service on Sunday, but I do reserve the right on Super Bowl Sunday to stay home and watch the game. Truthfully, there were some Sunday nights where I wanted to be home watching the game instead of preaching to my same congregation again. But I wonder sometimes whether we reserve the right to not give our all. To block off certain things in life. I will do this, but I will not do this. I will give this, but not this. I'll be this honest, but not completely honest. It's easy to surrender to things that don't mean much. But what is worship costing you? You know, the Jewish Sabbath was starting in the evening. It wasn't just the day. It started with the evening before. And that means that there was something built into the philosophy of Sabbath was that there was time needed to prepare. If you were a Jewish family, you needed to prepare your household for the Sabbath. There were things that you physically needed to do to tidy up and clean up and get ready for the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath would start at sundown on Friday. Do you prepare? Do you come prepared? We prepare our hair and we prepare our teeth. uh, We prepare our clothes. But do we prepare ourselves for the encounter of worship? 
You see, when I start talking about that, I start talking about there's a cost involved to do that. I'm going to have to not do something if I'm going to be spending time preparing. I'm not going to be able to watch the things perhaps that I would normally watch. I'm not going to be able to spend my free time the way that I want to spend my free time. If I'm going to have to spend some time preparing for this worship experience. One of the things that I learned pastoring two different churches in my first church, we would, it was all about saving money. We were a small congregation. When I got there, there were 35 people. And if I could do anything to save the church money, I was applauded. So when a room in the church needed to be painted, we would never think to hire a contractor to come in and paint that room. We would say, let's get a bunch of trustees together on Friday night and we'll just paint this room and we'll take care of it. And then we'd sit around rejoicing in how much money we didn't spend. By the way, the rooms always looked like they had been painted by amateurs as well. That was just the way it looked. So that was my mindset. So I carried that thinking into my second church, and we were having a board meeting in my second church, and they said, yeah, we need to do this project. And I said, oh, well, let's get a bunch of people together on a Friday night, and we'll just tackle this project. And they looked at me like I had two heads. What are you talking about? We don't have time to do that. I said, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to hire a contractor to come in and take care of this project. Because our time is more valuable to us than our money. We'll pay money, but we will not surrender our time. I used to tell them, we're going to be having a meeting. It's going to start at 7. It's going to end at 8.30. And they said, thank you so much for letting us know how long this is going to last so that we can plan the rest of our evening appropriately. I'm not saying that one is better than the other, but it was really an education for me to realize that in some circles, the sacrifice of money was considerable. For others, the sacrifice of time was considerable. Everyone sacrifices differently. What's yours? What's the most costly thing for your worship? Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it your gifts that you're unwilling to sacrifice? Is it your energy? Whatever it is, Mary demonstrated that what was precious to her was what she truly presented to Jesus as an act of worship. If it didn't mean anything to her, it wasn't going to mean anything to Jesus, but it obviously did, and it did to Jesus as well. We're also told this, Mary's gift was potent. We're not told in this passage in Mark, but John tells us in his account of the same story that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Everybody knew that this sacrifice was going on. Everyone knew that Mary was worshiping Jesus. We need that fragrance in our churches today. There are some churches that have grown a little bit stuffy. Perfunctory worship that doesn't really mean anything can dominate the day. We need, we need some brokenness. Sometimes things don't smell so good. Sometimes things get stuffy and sometimes, frankly, they just stink. True worship has a way of clearing the air, like opening a window and letting a breeze in on a stuffy day. We need that. Have you ever watched a post-game show after a sporting event? You know what post-game shows are, right? Post-game shows are people who have never had the ability to do what just was done, or they're now too old and decrepit to do what was just done. Those are the people that dominate post-game shows. And what they do is they sit around and they critique 
what just happened. They can't do it anymore, or they were never able to do it, but they sit around and say, this is what they should have done. He should have gone here instead of there. He shouldn't have fumbled that ball and let the other team pick it up. Well, that's a revelation. Don't fumble the ball and let the other team pick it up. Okay, now I know that. Sometimes after a worship experience, in Christian circles, we play the post-game show. Can you believe they sang that song again? Can you believe he preached that message again? Can you believe that he did that? Did you catch that mistake? Did you see that? And what we're really doing is saying, I really wasn't entering in. I was sort of standing back, just watching. I was observing. Some of the greatest artwork that has ever hung on the Keller refrigerator was messy. Crayons scribbled outside the lines, not the right color combination. But to me, it was potent. It was powerful. It was beautiful. I loved it. Simply for the reason that I knew where it had come from. It didn't come from a great artist, but it came from someone who was pouring their heart into what they were doing. And for me to stand back and evaluate it as anything other than an offering of love would have been inappropriate. God the Father does not evaluate our worship based on whether we sing all the right notes. He doesn't evaluate our worship based on whether we stand when we're supposed to stand and sit when we're supposed to sit. He doesn't evaluate us based on the outside. Scripture tells us clearly that the one thing that God is looking at is our heart. Do you care? Do you feel? Are you being honest? Those are heart issues. That's what Scripture tells us. And that's really good because of this. Here is a woman who brings this alabaster container of ointment, breaks it, pours it on the feet of Jesus, and then John tells us that she uses her hair to wipe his feet. Now, I'm imagining at this moment in time, Mary is not ready to sit for her portrait. She's a mess. Her hair is a mess. She's a mess. She's got perfume all over her. Her hands are dripping. It's all over her clothing. It's in her hair. She is not looking pristine in this moment in time. And yet, despite the tears, despite the brokenness, her worship pleased the one person it was designed to worship, Jesus. And when people started to criticize her, oh, this is inappropriate, Jesus comes to her defense. By the way, can you ever hear yourself saying, this was far too expensive to be wasted on Jesus? Yeah, I can't hear myself say that, but it's kind of a wake-up call to realize that that was said by the people who were closest to him. The people who walked with him and listened to him daily were the people who were saying that. I'm capable of that. I'm capable of that kind of thought. I'm capable of thinking that messy worship is inappropriate worship and that true worship is worship that always colors inside the lines. It doesn't. If you were to worship Jesus today... Honestly, genuinely, it might involve you looking messy. Can I just tell you, hear the words of Jesus, you're okay. 
You don't have to have your act together to worship Jesus. You don't have to color inside the lines to worship Jesus. You can be who you are, and you can be broken, and you can be messy, and your life can be messy, and you can actually worship truly. Rather than be surprised, we need to anticipate. And I wish that I didn't have to tell you this, but I want you to know, if you begin to move toward a worship experience that is genuine and honest and broken, and you begin to portray yourself for who you really are, and I don't have all the answers, and I'm confused, and I'm hurting, and my spirit is broken, and and there are tears, and there's mess, there are going to be people who are going to say things to you like this. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. There are going to be people who are not going to like you when you worship that way. Be prepared for it. Don't let it stop you. Don't let anyone stop you. Because Jesus said these words, leave her alone. Not only do we see the gift that she brought, but we see the work that she wrought. Lest we think that worship is only about bringing, it is also about serving. It's not just about giving, it's also about serving. In other words, it's work. If you don't believe that, try worshiping Jesus the way Mary of Bethany did and you'll find out. It's not easy to worship this way. There is, there is something in us that stops, makes us uncomfortable To worship Jesus in this way is to worship in a way that stretches us from our comfort zone to a place of discomfort. That's why we often don't worship this way is because it makes us feel uncomfortable. If I am holding to some kind of pretense that I've got it together and I begin to get real and say, Jesus, in this area of my life, I don't have it together. There's a reason why sometimes on Mother's Day, women hate hearing sermons about Proverbs 31. Because deep down at a place that in this society we're not allowed to admit, they know they're not all that. And there's a reason why men don't like to hear husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church, because we know how that story ended. I can be not okay and be okay in the economy of Jesus. Do you hear that? If you don't take anything else away today, take that away. It's okay not to be okay in the economy of Jesus. Mary proves it. You can be a mess. And he goes, hey, everybody back off. This is what I'm looking for. This is real. And that's what I want. There are many people who are willing to give something. There are fewer people who are willing to serve. We're told in verse 8 that she anointed his body for burial, but verse 3 tells us how she did it. It involved an alabaster jar, but it had to be broken. To be broken is to say, God, I need you. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. No, 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 that must be a typo. You mean the people who are rich in spirit are the people who are fit for the kingdom. Jesus said, no, I'm looking for the poor in spirit. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn. Say what? Happy are the sad? Yeah, yeah, in Jesus' economy, those who get out what they're feeling are the ones who are blessed. Those who 
build a fake mask and wear a mask, those are not the ones who are blessed. Mary poured it over his head, poured it over his feet, and wiped her hair with it. It was a suitable work because it was for Jesus. This whole event was for Jesus. The dinner was in his honor. But we're told that Simon the leper didn't do any of this. He was the host. This was his gig. This was his thing. He should have been treating Jesus this way as a special guest. But instead, nothing. Not only was it a suitable work, but it was a feasible work. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. She did what she could. Three times we're told. She has done what she could. Do you ever get the impression sometimes when it comes to serving that God wants us to do more than what we're capable of doing? So many pastors have burned out because they believe that enough is never enough. I have to always be doing more and more and more. What I'm doing is never enough. There never comes a point in time when I can say enough. As if it all is on our shoulders. As if it all depends on us. This passage teaches us that when it comes to serving, the work that God wants us to do is the work that we can do. That's why he doesn't want to hear any stories about I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too this or I'm not enough this or I'm not enough that. He doesn't want to hear that. He already knows all that. We're not telling him anything he doesn't know. What he wants us to do is what we can do. And if we do what we can do, here's his promise. I'll do what you can't do. If you just serve me, if you just do what you can, if you give what you can give, if you serve where you can serve, I'll take care of the rest. But when we walk around with the impression that we need to be doing more than what we could possibly do, we're making it about us. One day Jesus took some bread and some fish and he turned it into a meal that fed thousands. And who got the glory for that? He did, because he took a little and he made it into a lot. How many times have you hesitated to do a little because you recognized that it was not enough? Let Jesus take care of the enough. You do what you can. Mary's service, by the way, was done in such a way that God got the glory. This was about Jesus. Psalm 131, David says, I do not concern myself with great matters. You see, when I do my part and God swings in and takes my little part and does something massive, he gets the glory. David said, I I don't concern myself with great matters. I just do what I can. There was once a couple that was visiting a small town, and as they got to the outskirts of the town, there was this old gentleman, the proverbial old gentleman, sitting there by the entrance to the community, and they pulled over and said, we'd never been here before. Were any famous men born in this city? And the old man looked at them and said, nope, only babies. <laughs> we don't have to be great because we have a great God. What we need to do is simply give him the work that we're capable of like Mary, and he'll do the rest. By the way, Mary's service was done in love. Her generosity, this was obviously a very valuable gift, but it was not coerced out of her. It was born of her love for Jesus. We, we know how to coerce. 
Every time that commercial comes on TV with the dogs chained outside in the snow, I feel coerced. I reach for my wallet. These poor animals that are suffering, and they know that. That's why they put those on there. God doesn't want us to respond out of coercion. He wants us to respond out of love. But I also appreciate the fact that what Mary did was done in faith. There was a faith element to this work that she wrought. Observe, please, that Jesus says in verse 9, this has been done for my burial. Verse 9, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This was done, Jesus said, as a preparation for his burial. And in verse 9, he says that because it was done in faith, it will last. Now, I interpret that to mean this. Jesus is saying, hey, everyone, listen to this. What this woman has done today is going to be talked about at Erie First Alliance Church on the 12th of March in 2023. I don't even know whether they knew where Erie was on the map at that point in time. But Jesus said, because this was done in faith, there is a lasting element to this that is greater than what you can possibly imagine. Wow. Think about that. Think about the acts of service that you might do this very day. Think about something very small in the big picture. Think about it. God says, you have no idea the long-term capacity that that act of worship may have. That a couple thousand years from now, people may still be talking about it, but at the time, it was just an isolated incident. It wasn't all that grand. But because it was born of love and because it was done in faith, God is still using it to teach us today. The gift that she brought the work that she wrought, and we finish with the truth that she taught. Deep devotion to Christ pays benefits. Deep devotion to Christ pays benefits. There's a reason why we get into the Word. There's a reason why first thing in the morning we have that quiet time with God where we are taking in His presence It's because that time has the propensity to shape who we are. Now, I don't know what your observation is, but this has been my observation working with a great number of Christians for a long time in multiple settings. We do not lack for knowledge of God. We have classes and we have books and we have sermons and we have seminars and we do not lack for knowledge of God. We're the most knowledgeable generation in history and if we don't know it, we can Google it and find out. But all of that knowledge has not universally translated into a change in our character. How we respond to God, how we respond to turmoil, how we respond to one another, in some circles the knowledge is great, but the character is poor. I have been in board meetings before where godly men who were elected to serve as representatives couldn't get along with one another. I have sat in meetings where one man looked at another man across the table and said, you're trash. And a lot more words like that. Whoa, wait a minute. Can you name all 12 disciples? Yes. Can you name the books of the Bible from memory? Yes. 
So what's missing? All of that knowledge hasn't changed your character because you're not behaving like Jesus right now. And there's too much of that. Too much knowledge without changing our character. Where does that change? Every time in Scripture that we meet Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. Every time that we see Mary in Scripture, she's in the same posture. In Luke 10, she's at his feet listening. In John 11, she's at his feet seeking comfort after the death of her brother. And here she is at his feet worshiping. Mary knew how to spend time at the feet of Jesus. May I ask you a question today? When's the last time that you spent time at the feet of Jesus? You see, if your worship story is Sunday at 11, if that's it, that's inadequate. 52 Sundays a year, if you're that fortunate to sit here for 52 Sundays a year for an hour, is not a worship experience that's going to change your character. That must be ground out day after day after day on your own between you and God. There is no class There is no sermon, there's no series of sermons, there's no worship experience, there's no church that is going to touch your character if that is your worship story. But Mary knew how to spend time at the feet of Jesus and over time that began to change her and she picked up on things that the disciples missed because she was a worshiper. Her worship was spontaneous, it was generous, it was humble, it was simple, it was intense. But the thing I love most about Mary's worship is there is absolutely no record in all of this of her saying one word. She was completely silent this entire time. It's not about our words. It's not about our promises. It's about our hearts. That's why Jesus said in John 13, this is going to be the mark of how people really know that you belong to me. This is the true test that you are a disciple of mine. If you have one of those fish bumper stickers on the back of your car, boy, that's how people are going to know. If you carry a big Bible around with you everywhere you go, that's how people are going to know. Now he didn't say that. He also didn't say, this is how people are going to know by how you love me. I, think, I find that interesting. Instead, he said, this is how people are going to know that you truly belong to me, based on how you love one another. Ladies and gentlemen, the church of Jesus Christ does not have the greatest reputation for getting along. And conflict sucks the life out of a congregation. When we don't demonstrate that we can simply learn to love. Mary captured it. Her actions brought other people under conviction. There were other people that didn't like it. Verses 4 and 5 we read, Jesus stands up and says, leave her alone. She has captured the essence of what I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking for. She loves me. She believes in what I'm saying. I said I'm going to die. I've told you guys I'm going to die. You keep dismissing it or missing it, but she gets it. That's why she's anointing my body for the burial. She's being generous. She's being honest. She's being transparent. This is, she's a mess. 
And I select her as my representative of true worship. How does our worship stack up today? Have we come to give or to receive? Is our worship flowing out of our love and our faith? Or is it more perfunctory and it's lost its meaning? Most importantly, is our worship today touching the heart of Jesus? I've been monitoring the goings-on at Asbury University over the last month. For those of you that are not aware, I believe it was on the 8th of February, an Alliance young man speaking in chapel, he said, texted his wife afterward and said that the sermon had flopped and I'm on my way home. Boy, can I relate to that. But at the end of that service, there were about a dozen students that just didn't leave the chapel. They went to the altar to pray and to repent. And people began to funnel back in. And for two weeks, the lights did not go off in that chapel. Seated about 1,500 people. At times, there were more people outside waiting to get in than there were able to be inside. People drove from Pennsylvania and from many, many parts of the United States to be a part of this. God just started to move in a dramatic way. But the one word that was used to describe it was hunger. It wasn't about preaching. It wasn't about worship. All of the worship was led by the students. No bells and whistles, no smoke machines, no lights. It wasn't fancy. But a group of people just had such a hunger for God that they were willing to go to the altar and say, this is who I really am and I've got some things I need to confess. And God started to move and lives were changed and people were healed. When all is said and done, one of the ways that we can best evaluate our love for and our commitment to Jesus is by the quality of our worship. So let's define it the way it needs to be defined. It's not about us. It's not about the form that we use. It's certainly not about our perfection, but it's about our hunger for God. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we offer ourselves to you today knowing fully our own flaws, our own imperfections, our own failures. We know how we come up short. And still you invite us to come. May we see what you are after and may we offer it to you because we can. Because of your great grace, we can worship this way. Help us first to be honest with ourselves and with you. And then would you open the door for us to be honest with one another. To display your love, not your judgment, but your love. And though there may be people who will be indignant when we start getting real, may we constantly be reminded that this is the worship that moved you and that you applauded and that you stood up for and defended. May that be true of our worship experience, not only today, but every day. For your honor and glory, amen.